Oh, the shape that will get. If you've let all the fans down. Can we not knock this? It's a fact. I love playing mind games. I'm talking about facts. I always said if I was Aladicci, I would probably say I was more of a tactical genius. Yeah, I answer questions on anything. Uh, religious, politics, uh, health, you know, sexual uh, problems. Look at his face! Just look at his face! None of you except for those two have done anything to justify the money that you earn. None of you! Disgrace! And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Now then, welcome along to Team 33, the football happy hour here in Off The Ball. Now, I usually start the show by running through some of the biggest stories from the week, but I'm going to be chatting in depth about the Champions League and some of the biggest stories from the week in just a sec when I'm joined on the line by Oshie McQueerns and by Jack O'Toole. But one thing I do want to talk about, and I'm only going to touch on it for a few minutes, so don't worry, it's not going to be a full-on show about it, but I do want to talk about Glenn Kamara's interview during the week. So if you don't know or if you're not familiar with the story, Glenn Kamara is a Rangers player who was allegedly racially abused against Slavia Prague in the Europa League. Now he was interviewed during the week by ITV and the reason this story sort of comes up and the reason it's in my mind is that they beeped out the curse word when Glenn Kamara was telling them about what the player had said to him. And this wouldn't be a massive deal if you don't need the curse word to actually give full context of the veracity of what this player said to Glenn Kamara and I know there are rules of broadcasting but there are also exceptions that should be made for these type of things but it does touch on a broader point because obviously that's one player who's been racially abused or allegedly racially abused during a football match this year but racism and Black Lives Matter have been intertwined all throughout the football season all throughout last season as well after the murder of George Floyd and the players taking the knee and the movement behind that and what's going on and I just think things are getting a little bit muffled and a little bit confused over the last couple of weeks over the last couple of months as well commentators now when the players take the knee are all saying very different things when the players take a knee some commentators are saying that it's to say that there's no room for racism in football some are saying that it's in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement. Some are saying that, you know, it says that there's no place for racism in society. And I just think the message is being lost a little bit over the last few months. And you see this with some of the teams now are getting frustrated. Some of the players don't want to take a knee. Some of the players think that the message is being lost because of how often they're doing it. And I, I do think we are re- reaching a critical point here in terms of racism in football, where it is just becoming part and parcel of the game. It's just becoming a tick-the-box exercise. And I do think that we need to be doing more in football to stamp out racism. And it doesn't come from taking a knee. It comes from giving black coaches more opportunities when it comes to taking the teams. It comes from... Uh, cutting down the amount of discrimination when it comes to players coming through academy systems. These things really need to be helped. And it also comes in the form of, you know, community outreach programs. All clubs do quite a lot of charity work. Are they doing enough in that sense to make sure that minority areas of London, of Manchester, these populations that are largely made up of minority people in the country, are they helping them enough? Is that a better option than potentially taking the knee 
before a football match. What do you think? Let me know. Text the show on 53106 or you can tweet me at Enda underscore call or you can reach out to the uh, Team 33 Twitter as well at Team 30 as, 33 as well. That's all spelled out in words. So if you want to get involved in that conversation, conversation, let me know what you think football should be doing to tackle racism or if you think that taking the knee is enough or if you don't want politics involved in football at all. I personally don't put politics and racism or anti-racism in the same bracket. I think that football should be doing a lot to tackle to tackle racism. I don't wouldn't necessarily call that political or a political stance to do that. It's more of a moral stance and I think football should be doing everything in its power to stamp it out. Anyway, moving on, because I said that wouldn't be making up the entire show. There was Champions League this week and it was a fantastic week of football. Real Madrid coming out 3-1 winners over Liverpool. Porto falling to Chelsea. A brilliant game between Bayern Munich and PSG. And Man City narrowly scraping a win at home to Erling Haaland's Borussia Dortmund. We're going to be chatting that and much more now because I'm joined on the line by Oshin McCurns from the Home End Podcast. Oshin, how are you doing? And the thanks. Nice to be here. And I'm also joined by Jack O'Toole, former host of the biggest sports podcast in town, Action Replay Extra Time. Jack, how are you doing? A staple of the podcasting world. Strides on the podcasting market. In, what, what was it, 2017 or so? Anyway, Champions League week. Liverpool, obviously... A big talking point here because they lost out to Real Madrid, who were struggling for large parts of the league season, but have picked up a bit of form over the last 10, 15 weeks or so. What what's going on with Liverpool Jack here? Because it's just I've when you look at Liverpool last year and you look back at some of the chat about them being the greatest team of all time, the fall from grace has just been phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and look, like I think a lot of Liverpool fans immediately point to like all their injuries, right? So obviously Van Dijk, Henderson, Fabinho away for long stints from there, um, and the kind of list goes on. Um, but it's it's very much been those centre backs. But so obviously, look, they went through their string of shocking results: the Burnleys, the Fulhams. They started mending things. Um, Recently, you know, um, and with a complete domination of Arsenal did or not, got a win over Wolves. So it looked like they started patching things up. And like, I don't know about you, just talking to people during the week, but there seemed to be this like groundswell of like Liverpool are going to do Madrid here. Um, even just from friends and even the punditry before. So I was kind of looking at it and I was like, Madrid haven't lost in 11 games here. Like they've, and they've won nine of them. So like, where is this? I don't. I didn't know where this was coming from. Like, maybe, look, and to be fair, they completely dominated a, a rudderless Arsenal uh, the other night. So, like, on temper, on, on, on most recent form, maybe there was some excitement going into it. But, like, immediately, like, you've seen the ball from Tony Cruz over to uh, to Vinicius at the start. Like, it's they still have that. Like, they might be there for years, and maybe we're just so used to seeing Cruz, Casemiro, and Modric there. But like again, they were like they were just brilliant from there. Um, Madrid absolutely tore up Shakhtar as well, um, beforehand in the in the previous leg. So, yeah, I'm I'm not com- completely surprised. Um, I did think the 
the Jota over Bobby Firmino was coming for a while. Like, I think you looked at Jota's statistics. It was something like 12 goals, I think he had, in about 22 games or so. So I think that was that was probably inevitable. But, um, yeah, like, for Liverpool, it looks like it's back to the drawing board again. You know, it seems like just when they just got things back steady again, it's, it's just, uh, you know, completely brought back to earth um, very, very quickly. Yeah, it was kind of ironic and funny in many ways to see the first goal for Real Madrid, a ball over the top of Trent Alexander-Arnold, who Gary Neville pointed out in a clip that went viral again uh, with uh, from Monday Night Football with Jimmy Carragher. Jimmy Carragher obviously absolutely fuming at the fact that Gary Neville, not Gary Neville actually, Gareth Southgate, in Gary Neville's opinion, why he would leave Trent Alexander-Arnold off the plane for the Euros this year. But Trent is the weak point for this Liverpool side. He really is. He was last year and he is again this year. And I mean, if you're Real Madrid, if you're Bayern Munich, if you're Leroy Sané, as Gary Neville pointed out, in the Euros, then Trent is the person that you target. And that's just been one of the many weak points for Liverpool this year, Oshin. Yeah, you're dead right. Like, and Gary Neville said it. He did say it. He said Sané. He mentioned a good few names with Dave Ronaldo. He said, uh, I think it was Jota as well from Portugal. Like, going up against these big teams, like they're going to know that Trent is going to go forward. They're going to know there's always going to be space in behind. And you've seen Cruz hit it with the long ball and he's just got in scored brilliantly. There's always going to be some space there. And, like, I, th- I think people, like, the whole car- like character seemed like he was enraged at the fact that, like, you could suggest that Trent wouldn't be picked for England. Like, and I don't even think it's that, like, I mean, it's not that deep. I mean, like, he's unbelievable going forward. And then Carragher was suggesting that you could play him right midfield or something like that, which was outrageous. I just thought that was outrageous. But to go back to the original point, yeah, 100%, it's the weak point. And teams teams like teams will try and exploit it every single time. Until he kind of works on his game, until he gets to defending kind of at least somewhere near par with the attacking, it's going to be like that over and over again. And like Jack mentioned it there, it kind of seemed like there was not a revival per se, but like they kind of got themselves back on track. But like, there are levels in this, you know what I mean? Like when you're beating your like Wolves and your Sheffield United, and I know Arsenal, 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 are, Arsenal are mid table side, it. yeah, they're mid table side now. So like, you come up against a team that like Real of, of Real Madrid standard. Now it might not be the Real Madrid from four or five years ago that won three Champions League in a row, but it's still like you still go through that the team, and it's still like as again Jack touched on it, like Cruz, Modric, Vinicius going forward, Asensio, like it's still a great side. So like. This, this is completely different. Like, you've got Phillips and Quebec playing at, at centre half. Like, they, they can do okay in the Premier League against your likes of, as I said, Wolves, Sheffield United, teams like that, Arsenal even. But when you come up against Real Madrid, it's a totally different ball game and mm. they just got exposed. Yeah, I think Fabinho coming back into the midfield is what made the difference in the Premier League. But as you said, it's it's the Champions League. You need to be at your best. You need your full team out there. And teams like Real Madrid, who have Chris, who have Modric, who have Benzema, who have Vinicius Jr., they're going to expose you for your weaknesses. And Zidane did that excellently. One, I, I want as many hot takes as possible in the show tonight. And one thing that I saw on Twitter, a debate going around was because it seems like Tony Cruz, Casemiro and Modric have been playing in midfield for forever for Real Madrid. But somebody was asking, would you take that or would you take Busquets, Xavi or Iniesta? So that, that it's, you know, you can weigh up your, your, your points there. Both have, both those midfields have multiple Champions Leagues. They both have multiple La Liga titles and arguably were dominant in the biggest stages of the world for a large period of time. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it's, it's Barcelona. It's the Busquets, Xavi, Iniesta. It's simply because like Iniesta was the best player in the world at one point. I know Modric won the Ballon d'Or, but I mean, did he really deserve it that year? Probably not. Jack, uh, thoughts on this? 
Yeah, I, look, it's column A and column B. Like, can you really go wrong? Uh, like, yeah, look, it's. I think it's obviously what was around them, or, or most, more importantly, probably what was in front of them when you think of, like, the Barcelona attackers that they would have had for years, um, everything from, you know, Henri Etu, Messi, Ibrahimovic, like, all the different iterations that Barcelona would have had in front of them. Um, I did listen to, I was listening to Pep there recently, just talk about he always kind of kept, he always plays three in midfield, um, and it's something that he's always kind of stuck with at a lot of his clubs, just because he likes players that can just a lot of short passes in the middle. Um, I know, look, at the, the fullback thing with, with Pep has been kind of beaten a lot over the last couple of years and how they come into the middle. But it is very much kind of controlling the ball. And when you look at those three players, um, you know, Xavi had a, like a really wide passing range from there. Um, but just the, the movement and the understanding of, of, of those three um, flowing in together, obviously kind of uh, Busquets as the holder and the other two slightly kind of... It was like... You're talking. I always go back to that Champions League final against Manchester United. Like it was, it's it's a football clinic. It's one of the great YouTube rewatches. Uh, from there, it's just a, it's an absolute masterclass, and they were very pivotal. Um, and probably in a lot of respects, um, probably were the initial. I suppose, blueprint for how Guardiola was going to go on and play football for, for the next decade. You know, they were the kind of three poster boys, which I'm sure he kind of used as as, um, as models or templates for for the teams he'd have after at Bayern and City. So it's, um, I probably, yeah, I'll probably go with you. I'll probably go, I'll go close enough. But I mean, you're like, what was Modric you're looking at when a world player that could year's contender? Um, Tony Cruz, you're looking at a World Cup winner. Casemiro has been brilliant as well. Like, I mean, so it's 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 tough competition, but yeah, it's hard. It's it, like, is there any midfield three that's ever been better than than Messi? Or sorry, um, Iniesta, Xavi, and uh, and Busquets. Like, it's, it's, they're they're right up there all the time. Yeah, it's hard to know. Tony Cruz, of course, not good enough for Manchester United, according to Louis Van Gaal. Uh, one of the probably one of the most famous blunders in the post Fergie era for Manchester United. Oshin, do you want to weigh on, weigh in on this before we move on? Yeah, I think I'd have to agree, to be fair. I know we spoke about one hot takes, but I'm going to agree with the both of you on that one. Like, they, they, those three were just a joke. And I think we've kind of, for me anyway, personally, I think I look back a little bit more, bit more nostalgia on those three players a little bit. I think, I'm not sure if it was just that kind of period of football that, like, that Barcelona team was just a joke. And I think that Barcelona team was much, much more liked in general than that Real Madrid team. Now, like, that Real Madrid team got winning three Champions Leagues in a row is a joke. Like, that's a joke. Like, people people sleep on that I still think but I just think like the public perception of that Barcelona team was like everyone loved watching them and it was oh Barcelona look at that they're beating Man United they're beating all the English teams it's great Messi is putting on a show every single week whereas you look at the Real Madrid team and it's kind of it's a bit like heroes and villains type thing the Real Madrid mm-hmm. team always seemed a little bit like they had much bit, much more of an edge to them when you had Ronaldo who was arrogant and he'd always deliver and they were powerful and you had this nice kind of pretty like Barcelona team would knock about lovely you'd get Messi on the enemy score a brilliant goal so I think it for me, my kind of my thinking is kind of tainted by that perception. I think a little bit as well. But I still kind of see that Barcelona team as like this rose tinted glasses looking at that Barcelona team. But I would have to go with that. Like I mean, Jack touched on it there as well when he said like Pep kind of used that those three as the template. Like even look at like someone like Busquets. Like he's done that then for like the teams he's gone to. Like he's got Bayern Munich where he's got Javi Martinez. He's got a. City where he's got like Fernandinho or Rodrigo or something like that. He's always had the holder and then two midfielders then kind of going and being creative and roaming so yeah I mean like Iniesta and Xavi together it's a joke and like Busquets obviously wasn't like the most uh, in terms of didn't didn't score but didn't, didn't score didn't really assist but like what he did his role in that team was just so crucial so for me I'm going to have to go with those three but again it does kind of depend on what style you want to play too like if you're going for power you're going for pace up front you're going for 
directness. You're probably going to want Casemiro, Modric, Cruz, but if you're going for like that Tiki Taka, knocking into Messi, you've got Suarez, Neymar on the wings, whoever else, Villa, Henri, yeah, too. You're probably going to go with that, the three of Xavi and Yesta and Busquets. My hot take is that come the end of Pep's tenure at, Man- or at Barcelona, the, that Barcelona team were very boring to watch. I, yeah, all, all they did was pass it. Not the one that, that beat uh, Man United in Wembley. The, the, the year after that, they were extremely boring to watch. They got very, um, very monotonous, very slow, uh, weren't as, as exciting to watch as that, that first iteration. It did get a bit stale, in fairness. I do kind of. Jack has a City, wide open mouth here. Yeah, I think City <laughs> kind of fell. City kind of fell into that for a little bit as well. I think sometimes, like I don't, I, even this season, like I, I remember when City got that hundred points and they hit Liverpool in the title. They were scintillating that season. Well, like I'm looking at City this season. I don't really enjoy watching them. I don't know what it is about them. I just don't. I don't know. Like I kind of, I see what you're coming from in that sense. But like, there's Guardiola teams that I sometimes kind of feel myself just not really enjoying the way they play or just not. I, I don't know if we've come maybe become desensitized to kind of that style when you look at someone like like a Liverpool the way they play is so like the high press and like mm. the two wingers and it's a lot different like you've got like a lot of the bigger teams like Bayern Munich as well like they're all about power pace whereas you've got a city and you're kind of like yeah they kind of knock it about pretty nicely but like am I going to sit down like if I'm looking at same looking through all the games like I know Dortmund see like Dortmund like I'm looking through all the games there I'm thinking if I pick one or if I pick a few teams to watch like City are probably quite low on that list of last eight teams, like for me. Yeah, it's just, it's a different type of control. It's controlling the possession until your opponents eventually just, you know, make one mistake. It's it's almost the opposite of what Jose Mourinho tries, essentially. It's just keep the ball as long as you possibly can. Your opponent will eventually make a mistake, as opposed to Jose Mourinho's will give your opponent the ball as long as possible and eventually they'll make a mistake too. So it's it's one way or another. Man City, we will move on to them then. 2-1 winners over Borussia Dortmund. Looked like they were going to draw, but one person that we want to talk about is Erling Haaland because obviously the build-up to this was how good is Erling Haaland. And one of the downfalls of his game at the minute, obviously he's still young, he's only 20 years old, he's an absolute monster at, at the best of times. But at the worst of times, he doesn't do very much. And that's, that's going to be a question of his game going forward. I guess we're going to be talking about Kylian Mbappe as well. We'll compare the two of them while we're at it. But I suppose when he gets the ball, he's amazing. But off the ball, he will raise questions, Erling Haaland, because I just don't think he offers enough in terms of his movement. But obviously, he's an absolutely quality player. He's a bit boring, is he? <laughs> <laughs> no, like I look, I to be honest, like even just watching that game the other night, like exactly just building on what you're talking about, City, it's they're gonna have the bulk of possession. But you did see he got his chances. But one of the things that I just thought is just like the flash of him uh, against Diaz when he got in behind there. Like Ruben Diaz has Smacked been. Him yeah, I think he's an underrated shot show for like one of the players of the season. Obviously, with the likes of Dwight Kane and Bruno and De Bruyne, he's probably going to get overlooked for those. But he's completely just solidified that City defense, um, which has been you know questionable at times of the years over with Stones and Otamendi and the like. But he just brushed them aside, like and just threw them to the ground. And I was just like, just the combination of pace, power, and finishing with this guy is just unbelievable. Like I think it's I seen the stats there it was like twenty Champions League goals in like fourteen games. 
times. So it's it's pretty it's pretty interesting. Um, but I thought all the build up during the week, like it's like he's going through the tunnel and he's like, it's a beautiful pitch, isn't it? And then like everyone's like, oh, he wants to go to City like straight away. So that stuff is going to be pretty hard to quell. Um, as the months kind of go on, you've seen him talking to Foden afterwards. Like the buzz around him is going to be very hard to to kind of stop. But it's um, yeah, he's he's ultra prolific. I'd like to personally. I was thinking about this earlier. Personally, I would love to see that Dortmund team stay together. Like if you look at the age brackets of the Gio Reynas and Jaden Sancho, Jude Bellingham. Like you'd love for this team to kind of stay together, but realistically, when we look at football, if you look at that Monaco team a couple of years ago, they completely ripped the side. And then traditionally, you look at Dortmund, the likes of Lewandowski and Aubameyang, and all these Pulisic, all these players that have come there. But Usman Dembele, they all seem to move on eventually. So realistically, probably not going to happen. But he's an absolute stud, man. I don't really see too many too many weaknesses in his game, to be honest with you. It is a beautiful pitch. I played on it a couple of years ago. Ah, uh, here we oh, go. Yeah. Yeah. Here we go. Scored All a, moves nicely. Scored a penalty. Scored a penalty that was um, then analyzed by Keith Andrews. And my claim to fame is that he said, "You can tell I play football by the way I hit the penalty." So you know, that's... DCU Astro or the Eddie Hat. Which one are you going for? Oh, DCU Astro all, yeah, all, all day long. All day. I long. agree. Yeah, I feel we put in your bio maybe, but Keith Andrews seal of approval. Yeah. <laughs> the Ireland assistant manager now, so. Well, that's it. Maybe, maybe, a, maybe I might get a call up. Maybe I might be you know, never too late. Yeah. Ireland need a goal scorer, and you know, I've, I've scored at least three goals in my life. Um, True. but I suppose my main point about Erling Haaland would be at this point in time where he's playing the Champions League, people are only watching him in the Champions League or when he does something insane in the Bundesliga, they're not watching him week in, week out. And inevitably, when he comes to the Premier League, he'll be coming for a hefty, hefty price tag. and if he's not on like scoring three goals a game, which is crazy stuff and he shouldn't be doing it anyway, people are going to be questioning. And I, I think the in, the erratic nature of coverage for the Premier League that's just 24-7, always on Sky Sports, he's going to come under more pressure than he's ever come under. And I think that's more... That I think that's the bigger pressure than actually playing the Premier League because I mean you get to the level of Borussia Dortmund, you're playing at the same level at, as the top six in the Premier League anyway. But like, I, I suppose, do you think he's ready for the Premier League, Oshin? I'd say he is. Yeah, definitely. I know you did mention a good point in France, but it's like we don't see him. And like I'll be guilty of myself. Like I wouldn't be sitting down watching full games Borussia Dortmund every week. Like don't no one is really. Do you know what I mean? So you only kind of see glimpses or you see highlights, and what you do see is unbelievable. Like he's been, he moves on like any. I think like any footballer I've ever really seen, like I, I, I just don't understand his movements. It just, it's beyond me. Like the, the pace and the power that he has and the way that he kind of does it, it's just like, I've never seen, it's it, it's robotic or it's, I don't know what it is, but it's unbelievable the way he moves. Like, um, is he ready for the Premier League? Yeah, I think he probably is. Like, I think he'd fit, fit beautifully into that City team. Like he'd love to see him in there because I think, in fact, I think Miguel Delaney had a good, a good piece in the, the independent where he spoke about how like a lot of Haaland's goals actually come by way of tap-ins I think it's, mm. it's something like Turkey out of like 104 have been like tap-ins and like every single city goal it feels as though every city goal is nearly a ball squared across and you've got some like Sterling standing there to just tap it in so you can imagine how he'd probably clean up doing that but then like you could go back and say well would he do the other stuff you know what I mean would he do like Aguero we spoke about Aguero but like he he holds the ball up brilliantly. He's first size. He gets players involved. Like he does a lot of the other stuff. Now the goals will come from Aguero. Like he might score a tap in, but you don't see all the work that goes on before that. You know what I mean? You don't see 
how he picked the ball up. He knocked it out wide. He started the play and then he got in the box and he scored. Does Haaland do all of that stuff? I don't know yet. Because as I said, you kind of only do see like clips and you kind of only see him actually putting the ball in the net or him dusting by a defender. So there's that. But like, you, you kind of have to remember, like he's not even 21. You know, that mm-hmm. kind of like, like, so when he's doing that, he's doing all this. Like his goal scoring record is a joke. He's got 10 goals in Champions League this season. It's, it took him 14 appearances to get to 20 goals in the Champions League. Like, the Champions League, but everybody, like, obviously people talk about the Premier League, greatest league in the world, all this kind of stuff. But, like, the Champions League is the highest level you're going to play at. Like, and if he can put up ridiculous numbers like that in the Champions League and not necessarily be, like, he hasn't been exposed. I know he didn't score against City, but, like, he hasn't been exposed per se. Like, no. If, if he can, you know what I mean? Like, if he can put up those numbers, like, what's he going to do to, like, a West Brom or, like, a Burnley or, like, a and Newcastle you know what I mean he's doing that against the best teams in the world like he, he should come over here to, he should come over here he should come over to England and just absolutely dust it like really yeah I would love to have seen him in the Chelsea 04 team under Jose Mourinho the you know when like as a replacement for Didier Drogba instead of signing him they signed this Erling uh, Erling Haaland to see what he did because uh, it's just it's the power he has in his game at such a young age, he's an absolute monster. Like he, five years younger than me makes me look like a, a little kid. But like he no, shouldn't be that quick as well. Sorry, no, no, yeah, because he's quick. so tall he, as well. He should not be, but no one should be that quick. Like, and the way he this destroy, I just can't like it's not it's unbelievable. Well, like never mind the Chelsea team of 04, the Chelsea team of like right now. Like if you just oh, put him yeah. in instead of Timo Werner, like I mean all the chances that he's had, if you just put Haaland in those situations, he's burying them. Or at least you think so anyway. I mean that's it's probably the interesting thing is, you know, like just the amount of hype around Werner and Havertz. And then I was kind of looking at it the other day, like it was justified. Like Werner scored like I think it was like 28 and 34 last year for, for Leipzig. Like so and he's just I mean I mean that you can do a whole podcast probably on him alone and, and uh, what's happened to him this year. But you just assume look if he's gonna come it's going to be for City, United or Chelsea. Like they're mm-hmm. the three teams. And if you just look at those teams at the moment as how they're constructed um, Giroud's getting on. He's going to walk into that Chelsea team, and the amount of uh, I think actually I'm not like an XG, um, you know, fanatic, but um, apparently Werner's XG is quite high. Which you know, what does that really matter if he's not putting it in the net? But if you just assume that Haaland's going to bury a lot of those chances, if you look at City. Um, this is the, probably the first season we've seen Aguero start to kind of fall off and, and probably enter a different phase of his career. Um, Jesus, I've seen play as much as left back in some of these games, like, um, and we wouldn't even be talking about Haaland the City if he was doing the business. Um, and then at United as well, like, you know, you assume the same sort of stuff if you can kind of put him at Ben Rashford, Bruno, Pogba, and, and you know, God knows, maybe Jesse Lingard uh, potentially as well. Um, yeah, you figure he's going to hit the ground running. So I kind of seen these kind of pieces maybe looking, you know, Spain and uh, could be an easier league for him full time. Um, like the Premier League, you've just got to look at it. The top half of the table with, with your likes of the, you know, the Spurs and the Leicesters and the the five, six teams that you're going to play on a year on a season basis, um, you're gonna have more competition than some of these other leagues. But like in terms of like Burnley and Newcastle, it'd be an absolute massacre. Like I, I just don't buy it. Like Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, I suppose the one thing with the Werner and the XG is that it proves that he's getting into the right positions. He's just it's just shattered confidence. I've never seen a player fall off a cliff like this except for when they have a major injury like if you think about Fernando Torres his fall off that that came after a major injury um and several other other players of that ill with that that kind of pace it's always been like a hamstring uh, injury or a 
a, a knee injury or something like that. But Werner just seems just to be completely struck in a confidence. Moving on to the next lad, Kylian Mbappe. Jack, I'm going to reveal, I'm going to break the, the fourth wall here. You said into the group chat last night that you thought Kylian Mbappe was the best player in the world right now. You thought it was a hot take. I don't think it's that hot of a take, but plead your case for Kylian Mbappe to be the best player in the world right now. Yeah, I actually did say that. And then I went back and looked at Messi. Uh, just to see what was. Uh, yeah, there's a guy called uh, Lionel Messi. I'm not sure. Just in case him. I forgot. And uh, yeah, I was like, oh, no, no, Leo uh, still has the torch. Uh, yeah, like, look, yeah. And I would kind of preface that. Like, I think Leo Messi is the best player to ever put on football boots. Like, um, and still it's it's a thing. But look, if, if whatever side of Ronaldo or Messi are on I think this guy is next like if he's not there already um like it's just like you just kind of look at he's I think he's now he's got 42 goals and assists in the Champions League he's won a World Cup he's 22 and he's just (laughs) single-handedly buried Bayern Munich uh after destroying Barcelona like it's 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 just scary man like the first goal uh that's what I was kind of looking at because like I think Bayern as a, as, as a person that occasionally likes to to uh to kind of predict the uh the outcomes of professional sport and matches um Bar- uh, Paris where were kind of like they Bayern were kind of heavy at favorites last night um and you just seen I was kind of looking at it and I was like well we got Chupo Motang up top um and they've got Neymar Di Maria and Mbappe and then you seen on the first goal from there um just kind of how devastating they can be. Okay, like Neuer probably could have done a little bit better, but that second goal that he got, when it looked for all money, he's just gonna try and put it into the top right, and he just finds it between his legs and leaves Neuer standing still. And it's in the bottom left, it's just like this guy's outrageous. Like, um, so again with him, like it's I think it's funny, and to be honest, like because it's like I'm kind of looking at him at 22, and and he's won a World Cup. He's you know, let's see how this Champions League goes. But um, I think there's just such a fascination to, to get these guys linked with Barcelona and, and Madrid um, from there. And they're both getting linked. And, and I, I get it. Like, it's it's fun to do. And, and, like, apparently he's a big fan of Zidane. He previously had kind of looked at Madrid from there. But I'm kind of looking at him like he's from Paris. He's He's playing up top for Paris. He could potentially just be the king of Paris for the next decade. Like, I don't know if I'm him. You're playing alongside Neymar. They've got an abundance of funds. Like, I don't know if I'd be in a huge rush to leave. Like, but again, like, I don't know. It's it's interesting. Only he can probably say what his motivations would be. Yeah, I don't know if I'd be in a rush to leave to go play under Ronald Koeman at Barcelona anyway, who are in almost a billion dollars of debt at the minute. If it was Xavi, if Xavi ends up taking over, I know Juan Laporta, the Barcelona president, is a big fan of Xavi and said that he would bring him to the club. Um, I wouldn't be rushing to Barcelona anytime soon. Same with Real Madrid. I think the general feel would be that he has to leave Paris to fulfill his talents, which, I mean, really? to, our, to to an extent, I mean, he has won a World Cup already and potentially could win a Champions League this year. So, I mean, he, he can he can achieve what he wants to achieve at Paris. Um, it's just the, 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 the different standards and levels. I would like to take some credit for PSG's third goal because I tweeted about 2.3 milliseconds before they scored it that they should uh, pass the ball in behind the very, very slow Bayern Munich defence. And then they did it. So, you know, anybody who's looking for a manager out there, just give me a shout. Oshin, before we finish up, we talked about Man City, we talked about the league, and you touched on Aguero there as well. 
Aguero is leaving Man City. It had, was confirmed a couple of weeks ago. And again, breaking the fourth wall, we were discussing this in the, in the group chat. Sergio Aguero, where does he stand in Premier League history? Because I think he's the best player in the last 10 years. Yeah, I'd give him that to be fair. Uh, I think he's definitely one of the contenders, if not the best, to be fair. Like he, when he came over, like he came with hype from Atletico Madrid, in fairness. And I remember his first game was against Swansea. I think he scored twice. He came, or came off the bench. He might have started, but he definitely scored twice. And I remember thinking, like, who, who's, who's this fella? You know, that kind of way. Because like, there was a lot of hype around him. And I remember there was that tweet from, I can't remember what journalist, but remember it was the Charlie Adam was going to be the best signing of that oh, season. Oh, yeah, that was like uh, Matt Law, was it? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I saw it. So, like, he came over with hype. And, like, he scores, he scored 20 goals a season in his sleep. Like, he, sleep, he sleepwalks the 20 goals a season. Like, unbelievable. He's been an unbelievable striker. He's got 181 goals, fourth highest in Premier League history. Like, he could get to third as well, because I think he's only, like, three or four goals off. Um, off tour so like if he goes to Chelsea or someone like that per se but uh, he's brilliant like he, he fits that City team so well like City have kind of notorious for like you even just look for the example of like fullbacks like how much money has Pep spent like rotate fullbacks over the past like four or five years the amount of stupid money and yet he's kind of been a player who obviously is not a fullback striker but like they have money to burn they can replace players like it's absolutely nothing but Aguero still stood the test of time every single season and like they brought in Jesus and still Aguero starts like mm-hmm. they just he just continually does it. He just delivers over and over again. And I know the season now he's been, injuries have kind of, have come and like he's getting older and that's going to happen. But like, when you look at consistency, like, as I said, like, I think there was only two seasons where he's got, if you don't count this season, where he, he hasn't scored 20 goals a season. Like, and at that, he scored 16, I think, and 17. So like, still, do you know what I mean? Like he's, mm-hmm. he just, he just easily hits 20 goals a season. He's just a natural goal scorer. Um, he fits the City team so, so well. I would have liked, I, I, I would be very, very keen to see what he'd be like in say another Premier League like, if he goes to Chelsea I'd be fascinated by that just to see if it's a case of he just fits in that City team so so well but as you said that like Jack touched on it earlier like with Timo Werner and his expected goals like if, if that's Aguero like he's he's scoring and putting them away for fun like mm-hmm. so you'd imagine he probably would be able to translate that across to another team in the Premier League but I think yeah I'd say he's definitely a contender and like that goal against QPR like that's one of the greatest like even if you're I'm obviously clearly not a United fan, but like even if you probably are a United fan, you're looking at that and you think like that's an iconic moment in Premier League history. Like, and I'll never forget that moment. Oh, never. I know. Like, I, I know. It. I know where I was. I know what I was doing. Like, I, like I, I watch it again and again. And I think like the way he gets the ball and the way he, he doesn't shoot the first time. He takes it, like I think he takes it by the defender and then shoots. Like the composure in that moment is a like that's a joke. Like anyone else in that moment, you're thinking like the amount of pressure that's on the player there, ninety fourth minute to win your first ever first ever league title for Manchester City like and he kind of has the composer to beat the man then shoot like unbelievable so for me yeah I think he's probably I'd say he probably is the best the best sign like you can probably put there's a few guys of the couple like Silva or someone like that up there as well but now for me like consistency anyway I think the level of consistency that he's shown when you consider how like and he is quite I don't want to call him injury prone but like he does have his fair share of injuries. And as I said, he still managed to sleepwalk the 20 goals a season. So, um, yeah, I'll be interested. He, like, City have to replace him, though, as, as we kind of said. Like, it can't just be Jesus, I don't think. They have to replace him with a big name. And uh, they'll do well to fill where else shoes, to be fair. Yeah, I um, I blame Joey Barton for that goal. The most ridiculous red card of all time as you come into the last couple of minutes in the season and you just know. Like, Joey's got a couple as well. Like, there's a God, few what, from. what was he thinking? But yeah, I, I, I was, I, we had a football match on that was moved 
earlier in the in the day because of that they those games were running in tandem and um went to, we all, all went up to the pub to watch it then and it was me and one other man united fan in a pub full of everybody but united essentially so we were watching the united game obviously that was that was, was a draw in that Rooney scored a goal to to bring it level uh, so we switched over to the city game and the pub erupted and i just couldn't i couldn't i couldn't talk i couldn't think i didn't know what to do for about 10 15 minutes after i was like what the f- just happened yeah. you know yeah. It was, it was just one of those... I think, uh, it's brilliant that it, that it was someone like him, though. Do you know what I mean? That it was a player who will be like, like you'll obviously remember Aguero for that goal, but you'll also remember Aguero for being one of the best Premier League strikers of all time. Like, it's not like yeah. it was someone who like played four games and just managed, like, like someone like like Makeda, you know, like, like that Makeda yeah, yeah, goal. Yeah, yeah. Like, you'll always remember that Makeda goal, but you'll always go, oh, yeah, Makeda, he never really done anything. Whereas Aguero, you're like, oh, God, yeah, Aguero's one of the best yeah. Premier League strikers. And he also scored probably the most mm-hmm. iconic goal in Premier League history. The one yeah. thing I associate with Aguero, apart from that goal, is the constant Monday Night Football talk about him being the only player in the world that, or only player in the Premier League right now that could fit into the Barcelona side or fit into the Real Madrid side that were dominating in Europe. I remember Gary Neville often brought that up. Jack Aguero, 16 goals, 21 goals, 21 goals, 20 goals, 24 goals, 26 goals, 17 goals, 12 goals, 23 goals. Last 10 years, that is not bad going. Yeah, the man can score goals, can't he? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Nah, look, I, do you know what? It's interesting, though, because I thought, I thought this is kind of classic when someone announces that they're, this is the end for them or they're going to be leaving. Like, do you remember just like the David Silva, uh, just like month long? Um, tribute fest like I think they they must Sky Sports just got like six or seven geezers in to just bloviate <laughs> over this guy for like an hour and he was David Silver was good but like it just it, it just like it as soon as it's kind of like coming to an end it, there's a like a, a tendency to go oh he was the greatest ever uh, and I when that was my initial kind of reaction initially with Aguero it's like he was the best player of the last decade and I was like initially I was like nah surely not like there has to be like a couple of people in above them. And then you just think of the longevity of the decade. And then I started thinking like Hazard, but then Hazard had that one season. Do you remember when it went absolutely belly up with Mourinho and he just disappeared for, he just caved it in for an entire season. So we can't really count that when you're talking. And then like Van Dijk, did he, did he kind of stay long enough then from there? And then you just look at it with Aguero and it's like, he's second to Thierry Henry in goals and assists. Like it's, like that just speaks for itself, and and a lot of people will probably put the area as probably the greatest player to play in the Premier League. So it's like there's there's really like unless you go complete left and just go well look Vincent Company was the best player of the league, and you you kind of just go from a defensive point of view maybe. But yeah, like when you actually kind of crunch the numbers, it's not like just kind of overstated uh, gratitude because someone's finishing up it's like no it's like legitimately he, he there's a real concrete argument that he was the best player of the decade um and yeah that that qpr goal sticks out but it's all the other goals that came after that you just listed off so um for me like i know there's a tendency to want to replace him but I don't know, with the way City, City have been playing false nines this year. Um, like they've played Bernardo Silva up front in some games. Like I, I think they've gone to a different level. I don't know if they necessarily do. If they do get someone like Haaland, it's yeah, like you can imagine it's gonna be lights out. But um, yeah, like in terms of Aguero, man, some player. 
Yeah, some player. That's that's one way to to end this chat on him. Oshin, the home end podcast. What's the crack with it now? Who are you following? Obviously, another week of endless negativity around the Stephen Kenny era. Yeah, another t- another another difficult week, I suppose. Yeah, um, the Qatar game was okay, better, better. Um, not great, but better. Um, not back again until June. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, we had a couple of players who were looked half decent last week. Obviously, Callum Robinson did his usual uh, trick against Chelsea, which is great. Uh, maybe we should tell him we're playing Chelsea every single time I was there. So I don't know. That's that to be fair. That's, a, that's an unbelievable style. I love that. Like that he's only scored against Chelsea. But like, like so, like uh, there's been a few a few players who look like they've they've been okay after the break, um, which is good. But it's gonna be tough. Do you know what I mean? It's it is like even come June, like you'd imagine Andorra is the game where they're gonna get the first win under Kenny, and if, if not, you'd you'd, you'd 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 really be wondering. But um, yeah, like it's a challenge, and like the Qatar game probably it didn't even do enough to plaster over the cracks, really. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's 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 tough. Like it's it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a long it's gonna be a long few months before I'm gonna play again, and when they do play again, it's probably gonna be that, that negativity is probably gonna roll around mm. fairly quickly, but. Uh, to take a sharp, sharp inhale of breath, as you said, we'll hopefully get that first win under uh, against Andorra. Because, yeah, oh, God, I said that against, against against Luxembourg as yeah, well. But the, that the, didn't happen. The longest, the longer you can spread out these Ireland games, the better, because my mental health can't handle it. It's just endless yeah, three negativity. In a, th- three in a row, three in the space of a week is not good for any man, really, is it? No. no. What are Ireland if Barcelona are boring? That's that's what I've been. <laughs> Ireland, Ireland are very close to being the Brighton of international football, which is exactly what I was worried about when Stephen Kenny took over. Yeah, Ireland's XG, Ireland's XG is probably well, it's probably not even that good in fairness. No, I, I just I love the fact that we just got Andorra. I was just like, they, they're obviously they're so sweating for a win, like they need to get mm-hmm, yeah. a win on W on the board, and it's just like, okay, well, we can't be Qatar, Luxembourg, you know. Because you go down the list, it's like we need a win. So we like the Andorra from there, but I don't know. Like it's um look, they're trying, they're trying things out there. Um and like to be fair, like it's some of the they're playing five at the back, all the stuff over the formation, then from there, like they kind of went away from the, you know, the kind of never ending you see like Hendrick and Brady and McLean. Like they 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 swapped it up and, and tried something different. So yeah, like I think like as we've kind of spoken about and that a lot of these problems are so much more deep rooted than than what is currently available to him um mm. they're they're trying to play a different brand of football it is more the result of like 15 years or so of, of negligence of development um so like it's it's pretty much unfortunately for steven he, he could be a you know a kind of fall guy or a transition guy in many respects but i like what he's trying to do i like what he's trying to attempt to do it's not it's not happening all overnight um it's not happening over 12 games but it it uh it may happen one day and um you know when when that comes together i think if you if you see what he's trying to do you've got to at least respect it because like you know the previous ones where we just kind of shell up and hold on for dear life against the likes of germany like we, they're great wins and they're great historic occasions but i remember i was at that game like germany should have been three 0 up at half time like it was an absolute blessing we weren't dusted like so it's uh yeah it's 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 what can you say like whether he's the guy to do it or not i don't know but he whoever i, I think richie sadler made this point recently you've got to at least try and continue 
um, what he's attempting to do, even if he's not the man to lead the way. Mm-hmm. Well, let's hope so. Jack and Oshin, thanks very much for joining me today. Thanks, Anna. That was great. Thanks, Anna. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. <laughs>